0: Thank you, Dean and Chloe and Cherie and Jacqueline and uh, Stephen. rose among thorns. A thorn among roses, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, we appreciate very much the leading and worship and song. It's good to see you tonight, despite the uh, inclement weather. uh, And uh, it's lovely to be able to meet together in person. Those of you who are meeting online, well, we. We miss you. We'd love to uh, be in closer contact with you, but we're delighted that you're joining us anyhow um, via uh, the uh, live stream. We're turning tonight to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. The the folk in the corner here know that uh, we've been Meandering is not the right word, but we have been moving through Acts um, uh, slowly uh, and uh, learning from it. And tonight we turn to Acts 12 and uh, just about six verses really, uh, beginning to read at verse 20. Acts 12 and verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, And delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting. The voice of a God. And not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. Because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased. And multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Let's just have a moment's prayer as we turn to what is a very solemn uh, account here in the book of Acts. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you this evening with gladness in our hearts as we sing these songs of worship and adoration to you. And Lord, as we've been reminded this evening already, even through what Dean has read to us from your word, you're the sovereign God, the Lord of all, and your glory you will not share with another. And Father, as we come to examine this incident in the times of the early church, we pray that you will open our eyes, Lord, and uh, help us to see truths which perhaps are uncomfortable and disturbing but which nevertheless are your truths and truths that we need to know and we need to live by. So Lord, help us by your Spirit in these moments for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now the gospel is good news. It is the best news, we would say as Christians, that the world can hear. News of love, news of care, news of concern on the part of the sovereign God who made us for himself, news of a, a deliverance, news of a salvation through a, a cost that we can never, ever estimate, good news about forgiveness of sins and the hope of heaven, of the experience of true joy and contentment. It's a a message, the gospel, which makes human hearts glad. And it makes human life worthwhile. And many of us tonight here who are uh, converted, who know the Lord and are following him, we have experienced that and continue to experience it in our lives day by day. And we thank God for the effects And the consequences and the results of that good news in our lives. But we have to say that the gospel also includes some bad news. And we would be less than honest if we did not bring to you this evening, if you like, this other side of the coin. Um, Whereas the message of Christ and his salvation is uh, uh, the best news that men and women can hear. There is a flip side. And we see something of that flip side this evening, if you like, in this uh, short account in the Acts of the Apostles. Because you see, the gospel also includes warnings about judgment. It includes warnings uh, about those who will persist in sin. And the consequences of doing so. It brings, as part of its message, things which are meant and designed to disturb men and women. To disturb men and women. And to make them think, to waken them off up to the awful spiritual danger in which they daily live. If you're listening tonight and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, then this message I trust will be particularly relevant to you because the good news of the gospel implies bad news. And if you like the bad news or the unwelcome news that men and women don't want to hear is the fact that God will judge sin and God will punish sin. It does God no honour at all. And it certainly does us no good if we try to hide this aspect of the gospel from men and women. Let me ask you a question. What was the point of Jesus' death if there is nothing of danger to flee from? What was the point of our Heavenly Father, giving His beloved Son into this world that the Lord Jesus should come and He should surrender Himself to death. And not just an ordinary death, but this awful death of crucifixion. Dreadful uh, in its physical pain. But even beyond that, that He was prepared to, he was prepared to die as a sin bearer so that men and women might be saved. You see, if there's no judgment from which men and women must escape, if there's nothing from which they must be saved, then the coming of the Lord Jesus and the death of the Lord Jesus was without point and without purpose. I want you to think about that. And keep it in your minds as we move through this story. This story this evening is a a story of judgment. It's interesting and it's remarkable in a number of ways. One of which is the fact that the same story is told in an extra-biblical account by Josephus, the Jewish historian. And he records this uh, event in his own words. talks about... This great show that was put on in honor of uh, Herod. And uh, the the fact that he dressed himself up. And Josephus has some details of his own. He dressed himself in a robe of silver. And he entered the theater where people were gathered uh, at dawn. So that the sun shone. And it it, it made his silver robe glitter splendidly. Pomp and circumstance and pride. Josephus records that his flatterers were there and they were calling out from various direction, addressing him as a god. And Josephus has in his account these words, Hitherto we have reverenced thee as a man, but henceforth we acknowledge thee to be of more than mortal nature. So isn't it remarkable that in non-biblical history, this very incident is recorded. The purpose of the Holy Spirit through Luke in recording it in Scripture, I believe, is to bring a dire and a serious warning to men and women today. To remind us what we've heard already this evening, that God will share his glory with no other. What a serious and foolish thing it is to do, isn't it? To set oneself up as more than mortal. How could anyone even imagine doing that? To think that one is a partner in deity. And Herod's folly, as we'll see, was to bring terrible results upon him But let's remind ourselves this evening of this, that everyone who resists Christ, everyone who resists Christ is putting something or someone and probably themselves in front of Christ. Everyone who resists Christ is in a sense, is in a measure committing the same sin as Herod, because they're setting up their own opinions and their own ideas before they plan and the purpose and the commands of God. And tonight, if you're unsaved, that is a very dangerous position to be in. To be lording it over your own life, like a little God, as it were. Refusing to realize that your destiny, your next breath indeed, is in the hand of the almighty God. And imagining that you have as much right as God to decide how your life is to be lived. I want us to see three very simple things tonight from this account. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to take them home and think about them. Those who are... Outside of Christ, that you'll ponder these things deeply. I want you to see, first of all, deadly pride. Deadly pride. Verse 23. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. Because he did not give God the glory. The background to this is, is interesting. Herod had fallen out with the people of Tyre and Sidon, or perhaps the people of Tyre and Sidon had fallen out with Herod. Um, and it was all about food because the people of Tyre and Sidon, Phoenicia, down that Mediterranean coast, they depended really upon Herod uh, for their food and for uh, their, their, their needs and so forth. And there had been this, uh, this rupture in relationship and the, the, the people of Tyre and Sidon, as we read here, uh, they came to Herod, who was angry with them, with one accord, in order to try to repair the damage here. And they persuaded Blastus, the, the king's chamberlain, to speak in their behalf, to go, if you like, and to try to plead their cause and to set up some kind of a reconciliation. And that's really the occasion here. Uh, that we're entering into. It's this public oration, which was meant to be a a, a time of reconciliation between Herod and the people of Tyre and Sidon. And it was a feast at which uh, Herod would address them. And here Herod appears in all this pomp and pride that we talked about earlier. Scriptures speak constantly of the great sin of pride and how it led Herod here to this dreadful uh, death, bringing him under the judgment of God. Scripture says that God resists the pride and he gives grace to the humble. And men and women, all of us, we will willingly acknowledge the sinfulness of stealing or of murder or of immorality. But at the same time, we will allow pride to lurk and to harbor in our hearts. And so often it is this pride which is the ultimate barrier to men and women coming to Jesus Christ as Saviour. Because the gospel, the good news that we have spoken of already, is a message which actually humbles men and women to the dust. It reminds them that they are sinners and that they have nothing of themselves to offer to God, but that they must come as sinners and repent and receive as a free gift from Him the salvation He offers. Not of their own merit, not of their own making, not of their own do-gooding, not of their own religious uh, um, uh, celebrations or anything else, but uh, totally of God's grace. And yet so many men and women resist, too proud to acknowledge their sin, too proud to humble themselves and to come as sinners to God, too proud to see themselves as Newton said, as wretches, you know, in the sight of God. Remember this, that it was pride which was at the root of the first sin. Adam and Eve desired to be like God. and It was that that brought them into that place of rebellion, that place of sinfulness, that taking of the fruit, the forbidden fruit, which in effect was born out of a, a desire to promote themselves, selfish ambition, a desire to please themselves before pleasing God. And tonight if you're rejecting Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you are in some way thinking that you have your own way to heaven, your own way to be right with God, that you have another way other than the way of the gospel to become reconciled to him, then let me tell you again on the authority of God's word that you're in a precarious and tragic spiritual situation. Because that pride will destroy you. That pride will destroy you. As it did here with Herod. Deadly pride. He did not give God the glory. Second thing I want you to see here in the story is what I've called deluded people. Deluded people. Verse 22. We'd hear, and the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Now, undoubtedly there were those in that company who had a, an agenda. <coughs> the agenda was that they wanted this breach of relationship between the people of Tyre and Sidon and Herod, they wanted that breach healed. And so in order to do so, they were happy to flatter him. They were happy to, uh, if you like, um, extol him and indeed exalt him. I'm not convinced that some of them believed he was a god. I, I, but what I am convinced is this that they were able, if you like, in their desire to flatter him, they were able to stir up the emotions of the crowd, the rest who were there. And in order that Herod might be appeased and that he might be put in a frame of mind where he would be generous to these people, they stirred up flattery. And they brought the people along with them. These people, as so often was the case, they were deceived by the folk around them. Deceived by the, the crowd, if you like. Led along by the crowd. Scripture is so clear and so plain, isn't it? All we like sheep have gone astray. Used to ask the kids, you know, if there were. Uh, 50 sheep in a field and one escaped through the hedge, how many would be left? You know, And of course the answer is none because the rest would follow, you see, the first one that went out. And it is true that there is a, if you like, a, a folly, if you like, in following the crowd, a foolishness. How easily we are led astray. All we like sheep are led astray. We're influenced by smart talk. Influenced by splendid pomp. We're taken up with image and presentation. We are deluded by uh, the expressions of of people and the impressions that they give us. And the evidence of that spiritual blindness is all around us. People following this belief and that belief and the other belief. People, uh, if you like, setting men up as their idols and hanging on every word. My mind was cast back as I was thinking about this to what we'll be celebrating soon Easter time. And you know, the, one of the tragic things was that the crowd that cut down palm branches And and shouted Hosanna to the son of David. As Jesus entered Jerusalem. One week later. Many of them were crying. Crucify him. Crucify him. And I have no doubt in my own mind. That much of that both on Palm Sunday. And yes one week later when Jesus was crucified. Much of that feeling. Much of that. Emotion was generated, if you like, by the crowd and following the crowd. And I think fear of the crowd and influence of the crowd keeps many people back from trusting Jesus Christ and following Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, Satan doesn't care who we follow as long as we don't follow Christ. Any lie or any deception will do for him as long as men and women do not see and follow the truth in Jesus. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that the light of the gospel will not shine in. And tonight, outside of Jesus Christ, you are in that spiritual darkness. Oh, you may pay lip service, You may nod your head to the things that I'm preaching this evening or the things that you've heard preached from this pulpit, the things perhaps even you you read in Scripture. You may nod your head, but if you've never surrendered your heart, if you've never come to know him, then you're in spiritual blindness tonight and in great danger. The nature of Satan is to deceive. That's his work. And here were people who were deluded. Deluded people. And the third and the final thing that I want you to see tonight is this. Dreadful punishment. Dreadful punishment. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Now the stroke of God fell upon this proud and godless king. And the Holy Spirit makes it clear to us in the way that Luke records this that this was God's intervening in this situation. We need to say it over and over again that God will not allow sin and rebellion to go unpunished. So so often men and women are are lulled into a a carelessness by Satan because they reason, well, you know, I've lived this many years and, 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 and my life's fine and things are going okay and God hasn't done anything. And it's that kind of carelessness. People thinking that God doesn't know or he doesn't care or he's not interested and not realizing that the reason that he holds back is because of his patience. He holds back his punishment because of his his patience and his concern for those who rebel against him. Herod had been a wicked man all his life. He had done many wrong things in his lifetime. And God hadn't stepped in until this point in time. God had dealt with him patiently, not striking him down at his first wrongdoing. For if God should mark iniquity, the scripture says, who would stand? None of us. But God has compassion and he has patience beyond our understanding beyond our our imagination god has patience with sinful men and women but Herod hadn't recognized the patience and the long suffering of god and he had become proud and wanton in his sin and eventually god breaks in and we read it the way in which the scripture records it gives us no um, room for doubt. It was an angel of the Lord, a messenger from the Lord. It was uh, this this, uh, stroke of punishment was sent by the Lord to destroy this man of pride. This was God stepping in to the sinful situation and his holy messenger, his angel smote Herod. It wasn't some coincidence? It wasn't some natural death that Herod died. Even though there have been suggestions and probably quite legitimate suggestions as to actually what was happening inside the body of Herod uh, really and uh, how it panned out at that moment in time. Dr. Randall Short, uh, who was a a commentator and a a medical doctor as well, he suggested that what what we're talking about here probably was intestinal worms, an intestinal uh, infestation, causing an obstruction eventually and a very painful Death. Whether that is true or not, we can never tell. What we do know is that Scripture makes it clear that however it happened and whatever happened, this was the stroke of God and it was God's punishment of this sinful and proud man. Judgment will fall upon every evildoer eventually who refuses to repent and seek God. That's the other side of the good news, if you want to put it like that. The good news is a message of deliverance and salvation for those who will trust, obey, and believe Christ. But the gospel also tells us that those who resist will reap not merely earthly consequences, but will reap the eternal consequences of the rebellion against God. And it is a fearful thing at times to read what Scripture has to say about God's opposition to sin and to wrongdoing. Listen to these verses from Second Thessalonians. obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in the saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. What frightening words those are. The Lord Jesus revealed from heaven in flaming fire with his powerful angels, punishing those who don't know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We see, dear friends, we need to pause at the moment and just remind ourselves again as we contemplate those serious, those awful words of, Judgment. That this same Jesus who will come back with his angels in flaming fire to take vengeance has already come. And in his first coming, he came to save, to provide a way of escape from the consequences of sin. And the same God who speaks here in his word of punishment of sinners and of eternal destruction is the God who speaks and the God who has planned a way of escape so that we may be saved. And again, if we even take a moment to contemplate the cost of that, that God should give his one and only son as a sacrifice for sin. That he should be made sin for us. He who knew no sin. So that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How can you look at that this evening? And shrug your shoulders. How can you contemplate this infinite grace of God, this infinite love of God in Jesus Christ, and then pass by unaffected. In the words often quoted, is it nothing to you who pass by? We think of those at the cross beholding the Son of God dying as a sacrifice for sinner. And there they were, wagging their heads. Mocking him. Passing on their way. Rejecting the Son of God. The one who, in reality, was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who is God. Now these deluded people were shouting to Herod that he was a God. But listen, the one who truly is God, the God who became flesh, humbled himself. He did the opposite of this wicked king. From his place of glory and honor and holiness, he humbled himself and became a man who became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. The true king was prepared to go that far in order to save us. He gave himself to the cross. I wonder tonight where this finds you spiritually. For those of us who are believers, I think there's always a warning a renewed warning in the preaching of the gospel against any sense of self-achievement. Any sense that we contribute anything to our salvation. It is not God and us meeting one another halfway. It's not God even coming 90% of the way and us going 10% of the way. It's not God even coming 99% of the way and us coming 1%. No. We love him because he first loved us. And our salvation is all of grace. A free gift, which by faith, itself a gift from God, we accept from his hand. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked. Come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. May the Lord speak to our hearts this evening. May he bring that warning note home to those who are still outside of Christ. And may he remind us who are his children to eschew pride, have done with pride in any shape or form, and to give him all the glory. We're going to sing a closing hymn. It's an old hymn, um, but it's a hymn which expresses something of the danger that we are in as unbelievers, and then the miracle of us being brought uh, into God's saving love. Um, Out of my bondage, sorrow at night, Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come. And if you're listening tonight and you're not saved, you could use this as a prayer. This hymn could be your prayer, your confession of Christ the Savior, your humbling of yourself as a sinner before him, And you're coming out of the darkness and into the light of the gospel. Let's stand together and sing. Our Father, we thank you for the joy that the gospel brings to repentant hearts. We thank you for the hope. We thank you for the peace that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. But Lord, we take heed tonight of what your word has been teaching us. The danger, the dread, the destruction That lies ahead for those who reject father we pray this evening will you make sinners wise lord help them to be honest before you by your holy spirit convict them of sin and draw them to yourself for this glorious salvation thank you lord for your mercies this day for being with us we pray for safety now as we Travel home in this inclement weather. And we ask, our Father, that your hand will be upon us in the days of the week to come. Bless us, Lord, and help us to live for the glory of your name. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.